Oh, you and your, uh, your, your you're going to make me blush. What's architecture really about? Archispeak is a show that dares to peek under the architectural kimono, exposing what architecture really is, what it is that architects really do, and show you why we are passionate about our chosen profession. I'm Evan Troxell. Join Neil Pan, Cormac Phelan, and me as we have a casual conversation about all things architecture, which includes all the stuff people don't talk about. Think you already know what architecture is really about? Tune in to find out. Time for some Arca Speak. So, welcome to episode nine of the Arca Speak podcast. I'm Neil Pan. I'm Evan Troxel. And I'm Cormac Phelan. And on this episode, we're going to talk about Evan's 3D printing. And uh, we're also going to talk about uh, an interview that uh, Arca Speak did, actually, and probably go along into some digital stuff that's been floating around in our heads. So why don't we get it started with Evan, uh, or actually, I think it was Cormac, you were going to ask us some questions about the interview we did. All right. So you guys, uh, we were all supposed to have an interview uh, this past week, but uh, unfortunately, I had to bail out, um, uh, which was somewhat ironic that the topic that everybody was talking about was marketing and architecture. And um, that's exactly what we had to do is, uh, you know, get out and uh, get some jobs landed. And um, so you guys had, and, you know, I just finished watching it not too long ago, a great uh, conversation um, with uh, Eric Bobro. And I just wanted to find out, uh, get you guys' take on how you guys thought it went and um, what you guys talked about. Well, Eric, originally contacted us through the website through arcaspeakpodcast.com and he wanted to line up having us on this live uh, video webinar thing that he does once a month i guess and um before us he's had uh, mark lepage on there from entrepreneur architect and he's had quite a few people that that are all basically um talking about how architects can get the word out about their firms online. So he does a lot of work with, with firms or revolving around their websites and technology. And, um, he does a lot of coaching and stuff like that. So when he invited us to be on there, you know, I thought it would be interesting to talk about that because we're pretty involved in Twitter and Facebook and our website with the podcast. And we're trying to get the word out about what working in the field's really like. And so it, it seemed like a, a pretty good fit. And so when he invited us on there, I thought it was, it would be kind of fun to do. And so when we um, fired up the computers this last week and it was a, a video webinar and he kind of led the conversation and he had a bunch of people in attendance live, which was pretty cool to kind of field questions as we went along and, and pull up the various things that we are actively into right now. And, um, you know, we've had a lot of good feedback so far. I, I think it, it overall it went pretty cool. Um, and and Neil was talking a lot about um, how how we use the various social media, and I was talking about the website, and we were just basically talking about some of the tools that we use um, to do our jobs. And so there was there was a lot of questions related around those types of things. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun actually. Um, I think the 
I think I realized why we do this podcast as an audio podcast, though, because uh, <laughs> I, I had I had to keep staring at my screen and and making sure my eyes weren't uh, wandering around, uh, looking at different things on my screen, or like when uh, when either Eric or Evan is it, during the video podcast. There's um, uh, three little windows that show up that shows everybody's uh, video. And so, of course, just naturally, when you're listening to either Evan or Eric talk, uh, my eyes naturally, wrote, you know, gravitated towards their video, which meant that my eyes were looking over one side or the other of my screen. And uh, so that was a challenge to uh, keep my eyes focused in the center. I, I kept moving the, the window around um, so that the person who was talking was in the center. So, uh, but but it was fun. I, I think everybody should go uh, take a listen. It's it's a little bit of inside baseball about how we do the podcast and or how how it started as well. So, um, and then there's some more conversation. I know, uh, after Evan, um, had to leave, uh, there was a little bit at the end there where, um, Eric and I talked a little bit about, um, the website house and, um, how I do my website, uh, and then, and then also the, the software we use to, uh, to host our site. So that it was, it's all pretty fascinating. I think I encourage everybody to go check it out. And we'll have a link to that on the show notes, right? So um, just so everybody, if you're following along near a computer, you can go to arcaspeakpodcast.com and click on episodes and episode nine will have the links for things that we're talking about during this podcast. Well, I know there was a lot of talk about, you know, um, marketing, you know, how you market yourself as an architect and things like that. Um, was there anything that stood out that, you know, I, you know, Eric teaches a class and, and everything else for um uh, for marketing for architects. Is there anything that you guys um, thought were, uh, you know, interesting and creative ideas that, you know, aren't things that are standard practice with the, with what you guys are doing? I don't know about if there's anything that wasn't necessarily standard practice. There's, there's definitely some things that uh, we all should be doing and, you know, like following up with clients um, on, on a semi-regular basis uh, just to, you know, if you get a call from somebody, follow up with them. Uh, you send out a proposal, follow up with them. You know, those are some basic things, but sometimes we're not very good at doing those things. Uh, I know we also talked a, a little bit about um, how you can engage people a little bit more with your website and some thoughts and ideas about uh, how to um, get people to revisit your website instead of just say, you know, taking a quick glance and going, oh yeah, um, yeah, I want to do something. Uh, I'll, I'll remember, try and remember to, to, um, to maybe call this person. And then of course they forget and you, you never hear from them. So there were some, definitely some tips and tricks about uh, different things you can do to, uh, to help that in, in as far as marketing goes. Yeah, I can talk a little bit later, maybe when we get into a, a later area of the podcast. But one of the things that I brought up during this thing that was important for me was getting all of this stuff into an automated system so that I don't have to remember right. to yeah, do that kind of thing. And and so I like to have, you know, we, I'm, I'm a really connected device kind of person, right? So um, I, I like my stuff to remind me what to do so that I don't have to remember how to do it because I don't want to spend time worrying that I haven't followed up with something um, because I, you know, I see that I see people do that and it, I never want to have to worry about that. So I've set up a lot of automated systems to, to do that kind of thing. So we talked about that a little bit and 
One of the things that I think is just kind of a general feeling I get from the audience at large for that type of um, webinar is that, you know, people are looking for answers uh, and they're looking for ways to get in front of other people out there. And so I think that that's, that's on the top of a lot of people's mind. How do I get noticed? I need work, you know? Um, and so I think that that, you know, that's probably, if you look at some of the people that we rub elbows with online, you can see that they're pretty good at that because, and, and what I was saying on the, on, on the webinar was you, you've got to put yourself out there. You've got to put your ideas out there. You've got to put your, your hints and your tips. And you, you basically, I, I feel like it's like watching the food network. Those chefs are not afraid to give away their recipes. They right. give away their recipes every right. single day of the week and they love cooking and they love showing people how to cook. That's what architects have to do. Well, you know, um, I'm, I'm actually glad that you kind of brought that up because one of the thing that one of the things that Eric's was was talking about was um, the architecture website. How do you guys actually? I mean, this was a, a question that you know everybody seems to ask. Um, you know, in, in our office, we've tried to revamp our website. You know, a variety of different times, and it's how do you see the website for an architecture firm or sole practitioner, how do you see that as part of your marketing strategy? Is it, as Eric was saying, simply a brochure? Is it something more interactive? Um, is it something, um, you know, uh, one of the previous um, interviewees that uh, Eric had on there, Mark LePage, um, you know, kind of, you know, in his uh, um, entrepreneurial architect, it seems very interactive with, you know, his, uh, website. Um, but it's not a typical architecture website where it's showing the eight, you know, eight by 10 glossies. Um, it's more about trying to get, you know, feedback and, and stuff. So I'm just curious, what, what do you guys think, um, is really kind of the proper use of a architectural website? I don't think there's any right or wrong. Um, Okay, wait a minute. Let me take step take a step back. If your <laughs> if your website is based in solely on Flash, that's wrong. Don't do that. That's um, true. I know, I, know five, a, man. I know a certain website that's all Flash and that nobody can see it on their iPhones or iPads. There you go. So, might, might be a firm I work for. Ah, yeah, okay, yeah. That's that's bad. Don't do that. Um, but I think that your your website, you know, ultimately it is your it is your brochure. It's what people go to find out a little bit more about you. Um, so I think that's that's should be what your website does first. It needs to educate uh, your viewers or your you know potential clients who you are, what do you do, what have you done, um, and then I think that's step one. And step two, which was something that Eric brought up, is that the website can also engage. Um, you know, it can offer, um, you know, information that can help a, yeah. uh, and that's help what somebody. I'm talking about with the chef thing, you know, it's like there, there's things that we know that people would love to know and it's not going to cost you anything. In fact, it's going to, it's going to build trust with people. If you give that information away, you, you, we need to look at this as if we're teachers. And so like what you're talking about, Neil, when, when you are putting stuff out there that is useful for people, I mean, look at people flocking to Home Depot to watch 
somebody who works in the paint department how to sponge paint a wall for a Saturday class, you know, like it's crazy, right? But people love to see how to do things that, you know, we already know how to do and we should be putting that kind of stuff up. And, and it, it, it's a great conversation starter and it brings people back say, Oh, I wonder what other kind of tips they have, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. That, that's, I think the, uh, that's, that's the next step uh, for every architect's website, um, that you can do that. And I think too, that, um, I think to a certain extent, you have to look at your, your type of firm, you know, um, and and what you can offer or, uh, give tips or tricks or things for homeowners. I think from my perspective as being a sole practitioner and having a small office that, you know, mainly deals working with other, uh, with homeowners and such that, uh, from my view and one of the things I want to do with my website is start to offer some information like, you know, what are the five steps or, you know, some of the beginning things of how do you work with an architect? Uh, some of that sort of, uh, information is something I want to eventually add to my site. Um, well, it's a, it's the same know. kind of stuff we're doing with this podcast, right? I, I mean, we're very showing similar. people behind the veil of what it's like in this industry and, and why would you want to work with people? And, you know, there's a lot of great ideas in this industry, right. but if no one ever engages you about your ideas, then what good are they? Exactly. I, I think, you know, Evan, for a firm like yours, a larger firm, you know, that may not in that sense, make sense, you know, to offer up maybe that information, but you have your clients and they're looking, they have needs and they have, um, things that could be informational to them and you can tailor that information for, you know, a school project or something. What are the things that yeah. they need to know or that they, they need that they're curious. What does your firm offer uh, the uh, special knowledge or information that you can share with them. And that can be shared either maybe through a blog uh, or through other resources yeah. available, like a questionnaire or something like that, that may be available, you know, on your website. Yeah, we do all that through our blog. And there is a lot of good articles that go up there that are, are geared toward, um, you know, school clients, hospital clients, healthcare, whatever. And um, it can be really helpful. The thing that, that I think, bothers me the most about firm websites is when it's it's always you doing pr for yourself and so it's all about um patting yourself on the back and that to me is you can go to those other you know maybe it's a link that just goes to those places but i don't think those need to be a standard occurrence on a blog so you know, those are yeah, so that's you, when it, so it you really don't. starts to get it starts to grate on people when it's like you know look how look how great we are look how cool well, we you are. know and you're right, and that's actually kind of, you know, the whole premise behind, you know, why we started doing this is that, you know, when you, when we talk about, you know, architects um, and their approachability from the general public, you know, people who are, you know, are possibly looking to hire an architect or something, but, you know, they, you know, don't because they don't really think that they could work with them or that they're unapproachable and stuff like that, you know, when they're looking and surfing at, you know, uh, architects in their area and they're surfing on and, you know, looking at these uh, web pages that are all just kind of a, it's, you know, a pat, it's, a, as you said, a pat on the back, you know, it's just, you know, look at me, look at me, look at me kind of thing. You know, it's almost a, you know, for people who are looking to hire an architect, you know, sometimes it's a put off, you know, it's, it, I, I almost appreciate in some cases the people, I mean, Neil, your, your uh, website's a great example. It's just, it's, and I don't want to call it bare bones, but I mean, it's, it's, it's simplified to, you know, Hey, Mr. Client, 
this is what I can, this is who I am. This is what I can do for you, you know, and, um, let's try to work together. Um, and, and those are actually the ones that are, you know, to me, um, a lot of times, and, you know, and I, I appreciate the, you know, the glossy, you know, eight by 10 glossies of, you know, all the pretty, uh, pictures of, you know, all the different projects and stuff, but that's me as an, you know, as an architectural professional that I want to see pretty buildings, you know, but if I'm somebody who's wanting to hire an architect, I, I want to know what you can do for me and why I should hire you. And, you know, I think in a way, you know, websites sort of have to speak to that. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think your website should reflect the place where you work and yeah. architecture is not merely a final product. Architecture is its services and it is a process built on top of that. And yes, there is keys you hand over in the end. Um, architects rarely do that. That's usually the contractor anyway. Um, but I, I feel like, you know, a, a really good firm who's really embedded in the work makes a mess. And so in, like, like Neil was saying, you know, there is no wrong way to do a website. I think it can show that process and it can show the messiness of architecture and it can show the artfulness of architecture and it doesn't have to just be the glossy pictures um, because I, I really feel like that's giving people a false sense of what they're getting you don't just you don't we don't just say tell me what you want and then voila here it is I mean it you go through this process together and and that's like a huge part of it for me at least oh yeah I totally agree with you I, mean, I would think that your website would want to reflect that you know, just the, just the other day we were, uh, sitting with a client at, you know, at a construction trailer. We've got another eh, four, 15, 16 months left on this project, but you know, um, and she at the owner, you know, she had come in with a high school student who was wanting to go into architecture and I pulled out, you know, this big, huge set of drawings and like, it's kind of slammed it on the table, you know, saying for impact five, yeah it's like <laughs> here's five years of my life yeah and he kind of like looked at me like what you know but then you know the client and i started reminiscing about in you know, like everything that we've gone through to get to just this point you know that wednesday meeting you know all of the things you know that we've done and gone through and it it really is i mean i think that um that you're right is a you know probably to me one of the most important things about the job is is the process I think Neil on your site, you know, you've been posting a couple of things lately, reminiscing, you know, they're, they're kind of nostalgic back to the early days of CAD. And I, that's fun for me to read. I, I think that that's cool stuff that you're putting on, on your blog. Well, just a little trip down memory lane, I guess. Um, and to see how we got to, or how I got to where I am. And I've gotten a lot of positive feedback, uh, cause there's a lot of, uh, there's many other architects out there that, uh, have kind of gone through a similar process that I have, uh, done. Oh, yeah. And so it's been and fun. He, and he's getting up there in age too. So he's got to write it down <laughs> or he's going to forget it. <laughs> I remember when <laughs> I tried not to make it sound that bad, but, uh, <laughs> Well, back to the teaching thing, you know, I want, I, I have my website, getmethod.com, where I put tutorials and stuff out there. And I think that, you know, this is, this is, uh, I'm practicing what I'm preaching right now, where 
I, I like teaching people how to use this stuff. I mean, my, my whole bent on that site is that I want there to be better designers in the world. We need more great architecture. We don't need less of it. And that's one thing that always pisses me off is when architects are having these pissing matches. I'm, you know, there's, there's never room for more than two architects in a particular region. Um, <laughs> and, and that's, that is exactly the opposite of the battle we should be fighting, which is, you know, more, more great buildings that are responding to real problems and um, less anonymous buildings that people don't even give the time of day. You know, they just, they're just happenstance. They just happen to be there and you have to deal with them, you know, like go into the DMV. Um, Uh, We need more, we need more great stuff. We need more great buildings. We need more great spaces that show you what architecture is capable of, how it could change your mood and how it can bring back memories. You know, when, when you, when you hear the noises in that space or, or, or feel the walls, you know, there, there's nothing like going into certain spaces and the, and the first time you were there rushes back into your mind. And a lot of architecture can do that. Unfortunately, a lot of it doesn't. Um, but, you know, I want to share what I know how to do so that it makes it easier for other people to do that. And then they can take it further than I have, you know, because they get to that point quicker. And I think we need to do that as a profession. We need to be teaching people. And I'm not saying we're teaching people how to do our jobs for us, but I, I want to be able to share what we know. And we should be like a chef, like I was saying earlier, we should be not afraid of people making our recipes because, you know, we are, we have complete authorship over the things that we're doing. Um, and it's not an, it's definitely not an easy thing to do. But they're going to be more open to doing it with you. Well, Evan, you, you have a, a great example that kind of ties the, the last two things we were just talking about, which is teaching, you know, being able to share our knowledge and teach. And in addition to that, um, you know, showing the process. And you mentioned actually on the interview, uh, and we'll have a link to it in the notes uh, on your site, where you have a, a post called Evolution of Design. And I think that's a great example of a way to show potential clients, you know, it, it's not just a pretty picture at the end. And here's the process of the design and, and the different, uh, uh, the different things that were looked at. And in fact, uh, I think actually even on my, uh, um, I posted a picture of some time ago of some uh, flimsy sheets where you can see the process of design actually in the in the sheets where I took a you know a sketch and kind of refined it and and the third version is kind of a, a nicer sketch of of a design proposal and so I think that's that's more what we need to be sharing with the public to let them see the you know what happens I I think every, the public sees construction. Uh, they, they, they'll see something under construction. They'll drive by it every day and they'll slowly see it rise and, and the messiness involved in that, or they, maybe they've done a home remodel or something. Uh, but they don't really see the process, um, of what we go through for design. I mean, we, we've often talked, um, maybe on this podcast or, you know, on Twitter or something, um, that, uh, you know, we'll go through 50 different iterations of something and show the client the last one. Yeah. And, but they didn't see the, the day that the day long, you know, they'll look at it and go, wow, oh, that's great. Um, you know, we'll change this. But, but, but I mean, it looks like, wow, why did that take you all day to do? Well, it didn't take me all day to do. It's the other 50 that took me the rest of the day to get to this one. Yeah. And I think that's something that's often missed, um, when it comes to architecture. 
Yeah, one of the things that that is is great about architecture for me is I'm during the process I'm completely okay with not knowing the answer. And there's a lot of people out there who want everything figured out right away. And there's a lot of times when that just doesn't work and I'm completely okay having things completely unresolved in a project um, until I can figure it out whenever that is. And that is part of that process as well. And, and a lot of times you'll go do a presentation for a client and they have questions and the answer is, you know, we're, well, we're not there yet. You know, we have to, there's these three other questions that we have to ask first before you can even ask that question. And that to me is part of educating the people you're working with. Um, but you know, there's people in our field who are guilty of that as well. You know, they want, they want everything figured out up front and that's not, you want to go through the process of discovery and figuring these things out the best way. And, and one thing leads to another and it's pretty amazing the path that, that these projects will take. And so it is pretty fun to document that process along the way. And speaking of the process and documentation, we've been wanting you to talk about your um, 3D printing and our logo and some of the things that you've been doing that way. So um, let's kind of segue into um, something that we've been trying to get you to talk about for, for it seems, nine episodes. You have to bribe me. Yeah. <laughs> I've got some extra beer here. Okay. <laughs> that was easy. There you go. So yeah, I mean I it it was a it was a design project that I took on to come up with kind of this little cityscape and um it was just something I I did one night and um I had the opportunity to turn it into a real thing. And so that was this isn't you know, this is nothing new. There's a lot of architects out there who run 3d printers 24 hours a day, but it was new for me. Um, I haven't had the opportunity to do that yet. Um, the types of modeling that I did when I was in school, you know, I, I did learn how to do digital modeling then, but it was all analog output. So I would, you know, be cutting chipboard models with a, with an exacto knife. And, and I, I love that process. Um, and then eventually we got into laser cutting and so you'd lay, you'd build the 3D model, you'd lay it all out flat, and then you'd send that CAD file to a laser printer, and it would spit it out, and then you'd glue it all back together. And so now, obviously, we're at the point where 3D printing is a reality, and we can dis digitally design these things. And it is, it really is the coolest thing to hold this thing in your hand and not have had to physically build it. Um, and so. It was a, it was a fun process to go through. You know, I learned a lot. There's a lot of things that, and this is something I've thought of since I since I did the 3D print of the the logo and the the trophy, whatever you want to call it. And it it's the I think that 3D printing is kind of a a buzzword. It's it's a popular thing right now to talk about. I think that people's expectations of what comes out of that printer are completely unrealistic, and I think that it's all marketing. Um because there's a lot of work that goes into these things. It's amazing, you guys, how much I've had to do and redo and rethink how to make these parts so that they print the most efficiently, so that I, I have to do the least amount of cleanup, um, so that the printer's capable of printing certain thicknesses versus you know solids versus shells and all this stuff. There's, there's a lot. And then there's so many different types of 3D printers out there that um, they all do things a little bit differently. So the one that I printed... 
I printed on our in-house machine, and it took 23 hours to print these four parts. They all came out at the same time. Wow. And uh, so, yeah, you know, I I started it at lunch one day, and I came back at lunch the next day, and it was done. And uh, so, you know, if you think about it that way, that's not a big deal. But um, And and it probably would have taken a lot longer if I had done it. um, You know, I don't even know if I could have built this thing by hand, analog. Um, but there's other printers out there. Like I'm, I'm actually having 10 of them made now and they're taking about 12 hours on that printer, but it's a completely different look. It's, um, instead of being kind of this, um, resin that's hardened, it's a, it, the material comes on a spool, like fishing line and it lays it down in a, like a, a rope-like fashion. It heats it up and it glues it to the layer below. It, it's really interesting. Um, and then there's starch printers and there's paper printers and there's all these different methods. And so, you know, there's going to be some models that you could make that that might come out great with one style of printer, but might look like crap with another one. Um, and then it all depends on: do you want it to be like finish quality, or do, is rough okay? Is a you know a fast rough print going to be fine? If you go to like. Um, Morphosis website or their Morphopedia, I'm sure that there's tons of images because they iterate so quickly and they're outputting 3D models all the time of the different forms and they're real rough, but, but that's fine. Um, it really depends what you're using it for. You know, this one that I did was very fancy. I mean, the, it was like a 30 micron, which is super detailed. Um, and it gets, you know, like nice sharp edges. It's amazing, you know. Versus like a CNC machine cutting out a piece of aluminum where it can only get so tight on the corner because you're using a, a physical bit to carve. You don't have that issue with this. I mean, the corners are perfectly perpendicular to each other, super sharp edges. It was very cool. Was this a, uh, a resin printer? Or a yeah, it's stick? a resin printer. And then, you know, when I was teaching at Cal Poly, we had starch printers, which are those models are super brittle. Um, and then the one that I'm using now is the uh, the spool. So there, there's so many different kinds out there. Now, where, stuff, do you, where do you get access to these printers? I mean, does your company have them? I mean, we have one, yeah, and it's it's the resin one, and you know they're not cheap. Um, but now the one that I'm actually using to print the ten copies on is a two thousand dollar MakerBot, and it's called the Replicator Two, and it's a desktop 3D printer, and it's like it's made for consumers. And mm-hmm. so you know they're working out the bugs and the kinks and. Uh, some friends of mine have one and they're doing the printing for me. They're actually, um, should give them a shout out. It's, uh, we'll put a link in the show notes, but my friends Haley and Hunter are doing, um, the 10 prints for me on a replicator too. And they are running a little design studio out of San Diego called Symbiotech. And, uh, we'll put a link to that in the, in the show notes, but they're, they're working hard on it. You know, there's definitely some issues with parts on the printer that they're trying to work out, but, um, Overall, it it's really cool. That was a mouthful, but but anyway, it, that technology is getting there. And you know, I wish our in-house printer was going twenty four seven because uh, it's pretty funny. We had we had material left over in it that hadn't been used, and it expired. You know, quote unquote. There's an RFID chip inside the material, and it, the printer wouldn't use it anymore. So it, you just have to throw it away, and it's yeah, not really. cheap. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, so, you know, you were saying a $2,000 printer, but what about the medium? I mean, what? Yeah. <laughs> so the the media on that one's pretty, pretty inexpensive because it's a spool of like filament. But, um, the one that we have at the office is, it's a $50,000 printer. 
you know, and, and it, it it's comes in these little, these little, uh, jugs and, and yeah, the computer reads them and says, Oh, sorry, these are expired. Um, please buy some more from us. <laughs> wow. So what do you, what do you see as like, you know, um, the ultimate use for 3d printing in an architectural studio. Now I'm, I'm probably thinking more of like, you know, the architectural studio of now and probably not thinking far enough in advance of, you know, what is it going to be the studio of tomorrow? But I mean, what, what do you see is uh, going to be the benefits of 3d printing in the, in well, an architectural I th- studio? I think it really ties into the graduates who are coming out of school who are 3d modeling everything. And no longer are the days of a lot of analog modeling with exacto knives and glue and chipboard. Um, you know, I'm sure that's still happening, but the real benefit to this process is that it can be going all the time while people are modeling. They can be spitting out parts. And I think it's great for, um, iterative design, you know, small massing models and for, for when you're really trying to work out different concepts that work on a site, because no matter what, um, clients love to see real things. It's way easier for them to grasp, even on a really small scale, their site in a physical model than it is on a computer screen, because the computer screen, it's so easy to get disoriented. Um, and then also our clients typically are not educated in how to read a set of plans. They don't know what the heck they're looking at. And so I really feel like that's when these models come in, um, and and that's where you get the biggest bang for your buck there. Excellent. Yeah, it's cool stuff. So so Evan, um, I don't remember if you had anything in the couple of images that you posted of uh, that our logo that you printed. Um, how big is that? It is when it's together in a cube. It's uh, six and a half inches tall four inches wide and four inches deep. So it's, it's two hands full. Okay. Um, and that took about 23 hours. The one that, you know, if I just took our material costs, it's probably $350, $400 to print that thing at the super high resolution. Um, whereas these lower resolution ones are, you know, more like half that cost. Um, and they're gonna, they're gonna still look great, but they're just not as high of a high gloss of a finish. Now is that so. a material you can paint or Sure. Oh, yeah, you, you can. Okay. Yeah. Yep, it's paintable. Um it doesn't require any kind of finishing. In fact, it's so hard that um we use a a really high-powered pressure washer to clean it off because there's two different types of materials when you're printing. There's the actual resin for the model and then it has this um filler material that it uses to support cantilevers. So when it's printing up, and if you have a deck cantilevering off, it actually has to build up the entire area underneath that with solid material, but it's kind of a gelatinous material that you then clean out. And so you scrape a lot of it out, but then you also can pressure wash it out. And so like right out of the printer, the material is really hard, and you want to get the gelatinous stuff out of there because it will harden over time. Yeah, totally is. Well, have you guys seen? I don't know if you've seen on like Arc Daily or Architizer. There, there are building size three D printers where they're kind of like these things on wheels, and they roll around and and they're three D printing. Like there was this one example of a complex curving wall, so it curved back and forth, but as it went up, it also curved in two or three different directions, and this thing would just kind of 
drive down the street printing one layer and then it would come back and print the next layer and so it was all computer controlled but it was able to build this thing that would have been super hard to build i mean lots of math involved it would have taken a ton of um support you know some kind of scaffolding to to build it i mean you guys have seen pictures of gaudi's sagrada familia you know to to do stuff like that with you know the cathedral full of scaffolding it's the same idea but you don't when they're 3d printing these buildings they're not having to do all that and it it takes a long time but you know it's an r&d effort they're trying to figure it out still but it's pretty cool you know speaking Uh of the sagrada familia um i used to work at the uh um salvador dali museum down in st petersburg florida and um shout out to the old dolly um but uh they um they actually had they did a uh, exhibition on all of the uh, um catalan catalonian um uh, artists architects and and things like that of dolly's time and uh um they actually had the original model of um sagrada familia that was that gaudi and his shop made awesome. um it was this big enormous probably good seven eight feet tall um plaster model uh it was absolutely gorgeous and you know you other than the color you could actually see that it looked i mean it was a perfect representation of it but um but i I could just imagine you know nowadays you know gaudi having those tools oh yeah um and well what's amazing is they're just there was a, a 60 minutes thing with gaudi's a special on Sagrada Familia and how they are just recently coming up with technology to build the things that he had planned for. Oh yeah. yeah. And that, when I, I went to that church when I was over there once and they had on display the inverted models. Have you guys seen these where they're made out of string or chain? Yes. And so they hang it from a platform and that's how they figured out the parabolic curves for, for the vaults. And it's just a natural gravity curve, but it's upside down. It's so cool. Very cool stuff. I actually attended yeah. church service in uh, the Sangrada Familia one when I was there. They have they had a little chapel off to the side yeah, of, the, of right. the actual main building, which was still under construction or is still under construction. Yeah, Two hundred years later, yeah, right? not quite that long, but uh, <laughs> That's, um, That's so awesome. It uh, yeah, so it, it's a, it's a great building actually. If you if you're if you're there in Barcelona, go visit it. it it's definitely worth it. Absolutely, super so, highlight. To to wrap up on the three D thing, I, I'm curious. Uh, I'm I am just totally ignorant of any of that how large of a printer for your for what you were doing in your office how large of a printer is this thing um it sits on a table so it's you know there's some that have their own stands and but but you know they they call they have what's called a build size and there's like a bed inside the printer that can build different dimensions um and every printer is a little bit different and so there's some printers where you would only be able to print out one little piece at a time and you would have to assemble it. And then there's other printers where you can build the whole thing all at once. Um, so this one, I could build all four parts, but I couldn't build them all at once. Uh, I had to actually, for, if you, you'll, you can look at pictures on the website of this thing, but, um, and we'll have it in the, in the links to the, to the show. But, um, I printed it in four parts and then, two parts glued together for one side and two parts glued together for the other side. Um, I had to make it like that to be efficient with the material. Um, 
but I printed the whole, all four parts at one time. There are some printers that, you know, they don't have a very big build bed. And so this one sits on top of like a standard folding table. Um, it's probably four feet wide, three feet deep, three feet tall, this printer in particular. The one that I'm having the other copies printed on now is half that size. It's smaller, but it still has the same size build bed in it. So I can still have the whole thing printed at once, um, but it's not as big of an overall machine. I mean, the one that I have, it's it's interesting because they have computers in them, and you actually have to just set the file up on another machine, get it all set up, make sure it's going to work, figure out how much material it's going to take and all that kind of stuff. And then you send the file to the printer, and it, it has its own little computer in it, and it figures out what to do with it once it's there. Um, like the one that, that it's being printed on now, you just plug an SD card into it with the file on it, and it just prints like a... You know, like those little printers that you just shove your SD card in to print photos out of. It works the same way. So, so what? Um, I mean, what can you send? What do you send to the printer? It's a file, three D file format. It's a three. Is it a proprietary type of thing, or something it that probably, SketchUp or some other three D program could just output to? No, you can make it in many different. You know, you can make these things in Rhino, FormZ, Bonsai, SketchUp, Revit, Archicad. It doesn't really matter. You can use just about anything, 3D Studio. Um, you have to save it usually out as an STL file, which is a 3D file format that is for 3D printers. It's a stereo lithography file format, which is the fancy word for 3D printing. And then uh, the printer can read that, and it figures out the orientation that the part needs to be to build it on the build tray. It's it's So it's... It's all, it's getting easier over time on, on how to do this stuff. But, um, but yeah, it's just a 3D for, file format that you're sending to the printer. And, it, you, you know, it has to be checked for material thickness. It has to be made sure that the geometry is all correct, that there's no holes in it, stuff like that. So there's different pieces of software out there that can do the automatic checking and stuff for you ahead of time. Wow. So. Whole new yeah, world. like I said, it was it was a big learning experience, but it was fun, and you know, it's uh, it's pretty cool to be able to do this stuff. It, it's like architecture, you know, when that built when when structural steel starts going up, and you walk into it, and you're like, I can't believe this thing is real. You know, they took this thing that was on paper that I was designing three years ago, and here it is, and it's that's the best feeling in the world. That's what this is on a smaller scale. It's just unbelievable that you can design something um, in the computer and the next day you can be holding it. It's amazing. I'll tell you, this will be the uh, the future of the, the construction industry. I mean, um, you were talking earlier about uh, you know, building size 3D printers. And um, I remember uh, reading probably on a um, Arc Daily, uh, they were... Um, showing shelters being built um with 3d models and you know smaller shelters but you know i I could see that that could be you know the way the way that we design you know you know just the quick translation you know from design to construction you know all all at the click of the keyboard (laughs) god i hope not jeez (laughs) Well, I, I've even heard, and this this is probably far out there, but um, you know, maybe sending a three D printer to Mars so that it can 
you know, print buildings or, you know, structures that astronauts could live in or, you know, or, or maybe it builds something else so that, you know, an astronaut can get back. I don't know. This is probably far in the future, but what an interesting, you know, concept. I mean, yeah. wow. I mean, amazing, amazing. This is just kind of the, probably the early phases uh, of this. Uh, it's, it's probably something that we, I mean, you know, technology is moving pretty quickly. Um, you know, we'll probably see it at, you know, the end of our lifetime. Um, Neil, yours obviously sooner than most. Thank you. Connor. Thank you. <laughs> wow. But, but, um, nice no. to throw me under the bus there. Uh, all right. I'll, I'll take it. I'll, I'll take well, it. Well, speaking of buses and Gaudi, oops. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, no, but, but I think, it, you know, it's going to be interesting to watch it. I mean, you know, I, I heard the comment, you know, God, I hope not um, from you, Evan. And uh, you're right. I mean, you know, because one of the things that we always talk about is, you know, the, you know, the craft that, you know, um, both in the building and, you know, drawing in the process and everything else, you know, that, you know, the, the really tactile, you know, things that you kind of get down and dirty with, um, you know, and it'll, you know, as you were saying, you know, you don't have to actually get in there to physically build this. I mean, you know, you're putting in the man hours in the computer and, uh, you know, setting up the printer and everything. But other than that, you know, um, it's, it's all a hands-off process. So, you know, it'd be interesting to kind of see, you know, because, I mean, you said it that, you know, people are graduating, um, coming out and they're doing these 3D prints rather than, you know, physically building 3D models, you know, where they are pulling out the, you know, chipboard and, you know, metal rulers and exacto blades and stuff like that. And, you know, um, never going to know the, um, the pain of almost cutting your thumb off. Um, I thought that was the joy. There's, there's two things that really bug me about this. You know, even though I'm here, I am doing it. Um, number one is our offices are, are way too clean now. Everybody's (laughs) stuck behind a screen all the time and we're not making things with our hands. We're still making things, but we're not making things analog, right? For the most part. Right. And that, bugs me because oh yeah i there's something that needs to stay tactile about architecture even when it's in an office being thought up um and then it further disconnects us from building the real building you know there's it's it's already um too bad that we're not out there working with our hands and you know i have my own shop that i fabricate things in and i weld and i've got you know, radial arm saws and chop saws and all that kind of stuff. I like to make things. Um, and that's one of the reasons I like architecture so much is because it's, it's making things even on a bigger scale. Um, and so again, I feel like we are further disconnecting ourselves from the making of the architecture. You, we cannot forget, um, that at least for now, buildings are the biggest thing that, that are completely made by hand. And, uh, I think if if we further move into the the cubicle behind the screen um, mentality of not getting our hands dirty, um, I think that you know we're we're furthering that gap, and it's that's not a good thing. I, I I totally agree with you because you know I mean one of the things you know how how did you guys learn you know architecture? I mean a lot of it was you know hands on practice of getting out there not just you know building the 3d models or the you know the physical models that we're talking about but also getting out there and you know 
experiencing the, you know, tactile, um, you know, just the, the physical uh, experience of getting out there in a building and finding out what's right and what's wrong, but then being able to kind of like look at the things that you see that are out there and built. And then when you're trying to build them, you know, you know albeit, you know, with the exacto blade and the, you know, straight edges and all that other stuff, but you're trying to get in there. And to me, that kind of helps you understand how to translate everything that's kind of going on in your mind about what you want to, you know, the stage that you want to set for the experience and the feelings that you're hoping to, to generate from these, you know, from the buildings and the movements that you're doing within these buildings. But, you know, you kind of start to be one with some of those spaces when you're, you know, kind of physically building them, you know, even in the, you know, in the smaller scale. Um, and, uh, you know, to kind of, you know, like you're saying, to further detach yourself from that, you know, you're, I mean, you're almost wondering, and it's like, um, people who go in, they start, you know, designing stuff without going out and visiting the site, you know, things like that without, you know, truly understanding what's going on. You know, it, to me, that kind of further detaches you from, uh, you know, being able to kind of a, create that fully confident building because you're not truly understanding what everything else is going on. And so I think you're, I think you're right on that. Yeah. You know, there's no hours in the, in the, in the job for you to be going out and visiting the site. There never is, but <laughs> oh you know, you have to, <laughs> you would think. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, Cormac, we were talking uh, pre-show about, uh, digital and taking notes. Uh, why don't you share, <laughs> share that? And that'll kind of lead us into <laughs> our, our, our last part of the show here. Well, it almost seems, or at least it's getting to the point where it almost seems uh, commonplace that, you know, architects and contractors and owners and, and people like that, especially in larger projects and commercial projects and stuff like that, you know, they come well equipped to the job site, um, iPad or laptop in tow and stuff like that. And I just happen to be working for one of those firms that as of right now, you know, we're, we're slowly making a change, you know, to get to at least, uh, you know, it'll be an, another topic that we get to, uh, um, especially, uh, Evan, you talked a lot about it a lot, you know, in the, uh, um, webcast, uh, about, you know, the kind of like the, the digital organizer. And we're finally getting to a point where we're starting to do a project management software that, you know, is going to make organizing tracking and, uh, you know, everything else with the projects far easier. It was a project, uh, software that I used to use a long time ago. Um, and thankfully they're, you know, getting to the point where we're, we, you know, we've already bought our seats. They're doing all of the transfer of, uh, all of our files and getting them, um, squared away within this, uh, this database system. But, um, so I'm out on the site, everybody's, uh, you know, uh, taking their notes and everything on their iPads and stuff like that. And, uh, after the meeting was over with the, owner and the contractor started kind of harassing me because, you know, I don't have a laptop. I don't have an iPad. They're asking me questions. And I'm like, well, you know, um, and it's almost like, you know, my feeling of when you're during the design process and you don't know how to sketch, but you're sitting in front of a client and they're like, well, you know, I was thinking about this and it's like, you know what? I understand what you're saying, but let me go back to the office. I'll draft it up in the computer and then I'll send it to you and see what you think. 
And that's a lost opportunity when you, you know, you pull out a piece of paper and you sit down and you draw it up in front of them and you talk back and forth and you have that whole conversation and, you know, boom, you've got an idea that can then you go back and, you know, do your drafting and all that other stuff. But, um, so they were asking me about some, uh, you know, RFI questions and some, uh, tracking of a couple of, uh, submittals and things like that. And, um, if I would have had a laptop or if I would have had, um, a, an iPad or something like that, I would have easily been able to pull it up, tell them exactly what was going on, possibly even answered it right then and there. Um, but, uh, you know, kind of at a handicap and, you know, I kind of listened to them basically sort of ridicule me for about a good half hour about the lack of, um, you know, my, my lack of mobility. And, you know, that's really kind of where, you know, even with three printers and everything else, I mean, that's where the world's going to, and you've got to, you know, kind of embrace it and move forward. And, um, there's, there's detriment to that too. I, you know, I, I'm torn because we do, we are living in this connected world where our phones are constantly beeping and buzzing and our, we are, be able to check email at a moment's notice and, and pull up spreadsheets. And, you know, I think there's something to be said for being able to tell a client or an owner that, you know, let me think about that. Let me process that. And then maybe we'll, we'll get back together and, and figure out ideas. Um, I think you're, you're using the case of, you know, you, you need to find some information that is digital. And so, yeah, it would be great if you could pull that up at a yeah, moment's that, notice. That was, that was more of what, that if you out. can, at the same time, you know what I, what I'm trying to say is it's like, we have gotten to the point where things are so efficient and so available that we don't have time to think about things anymore either. Exactly. You know, I, I, I agree with you there. Um, you know, there's, there's been a point there, you know, we've gotten to the point of it's like, want it now, want it now, want it now. Right. Um, and you just like, well, let me stop and think for a second. Let me, <laughs> you know, because, um, you know, it was it's the drive through mentality, man. I, that's it, what I call it, it is, it is absolutely, you know, it's that, you know, that, um, you know, my wife and I like to talk about, you know, the 30 second soundbite type thing. You know, it's if you don't get what you need within that 30 seconds, and now it's actually probably down to three seconds, um, you know, they're going to move on to the next, you know, to the next way of getting the information and stuff. But, but uh, you know, you actually brought that up, you know, the, the over connectability in a way. So here we are sitting up, sitting in this job trailer yesterday. Um, and we have, um, Everybody's there. Everybody's got their smartphones. You know, a handful of people have got, you know, the iPads and stuff like that. And I don't really know if they actually paid attention to, I mean, this was a contractor kickoff meeting. You know, it's a construction management, you know, managed job. And all of the prime contractors were there. We were talking about all the rules and regulations. And everyone's you know, got their phone under the desk. Every, yeah. And everybody's, you know, like, you know, well, some of them weren't even, you know, that. Uh, shy. They just, they, they were bold. They had it right in front of them and they were looking at it. Um, and nobody was really truly paying attention and there was no real eye contact and there was no, yeah, yeah, I understand exactly what you're saying. You know, it's just like, well, I hope I've, you know, it's, it's more like, I really hope that those meeting minutes are really comprehensive because I didn't pay attention to half of it. Well, <laughs> you need a strong leader in those and you need to have a, a no grazing policy. You know, phones go in a basket at the door. And you can pick it up when you're on your way out. It's, you know, it's, it's a hard thing, but you're right. It, it's, it's one of those. It's, I, I have it's, a, 
crazy that people do that in a, in a meeting that you're spending your time or wasting your time at as the case may be. Yeah. Well, I mean, I had a, um, I, I have another project manager, um, who works on another, you know, school project, um, from the, from the owner. And she, <laughs> if, if she hears even your phone buzz, she, you know, she'll just, she'll stop the whole meeting and say, go ahead, take your time. You know, it's, uh, you know, I, I can back charge you for that. You know what I mean? She, <laughs> and when you start threatening their money and stuff and, and, and she can do that because there's actually, you know, um, you know, she's got, you know, she's, she's got the power and, uh, you know, I, I appreciate the fact that she wants to make everybody pay attention to what's going on. Um, I kind of wish that she would make them read the RFIs, you know, my RFI response. Closely. Yeah. But, or look at the documents. But anyway, you know. Well, um, now that I've slammed the whole uh, bringing digital devices into meetings and stuff, I can tell you what my favorite thing to do with them is. And, and um, I have an article on my site about using the iPad as a presentation tool. And uh, I'll tell you, it was it's one of the most gratifying experiences when you can put the project in your client's hands. If you don't have a okay. physical model, man, their eyes light up and it is it's awesome to be able to hand them an iPad that they already know how to use. Um, and there's a 3d model of their project in there, no matter what stage it's in and they can spin it around with their fingertips. And it is a great experience. It's a very connecting experience between you as the designer and them as, as your client. And this, this is the thing that you guys have made together. Um, it's, that is a really cool thing to be able to do with these devices. And it's not me showing them. It's them showing themselves Yeah, they're looking they're, at what they want to look at. They're fully immersed into it. They're, it's, you know, it's as interactive as if they had pencil in their hand. Yep. Well, let, let me ask you this since we, you know, we, we do talk a lot to, you know, students and, you know, recent graduates, and, you know, would be people who want to go through the, the torture of architecture school and stuff. So here we are, we're coming to the, you know, end of a, another college school year, going to have a lot more uh, people graduating um, and entering the workforce. What do you guys think about the digital portfolio? Yeah, we talked about this before. I, I don't remember if it was episode one or two or three, maybe, but it was, I think it's great. You know, I, I don't think that, um, I don't think that there's any need necessarily for a full printed portfolio anymore you might want to have a leave behind and i think we mentioned that before too that's a small really nice handout that that will is kind of your calling card but it also shows some of your imagery but i think the digital portfolio on an ipad especially where where people can again kind of flip through it as at their leisure and look at the things they want to look at i think it's it's great there's a lot of information that you can embed in those things that you just couldn't do on paper Right, so you can embed animation, you can embed um, interactive kind of media, and and you can have pop up text. So if if you you know you want to have full screen image, and then they tap a button and text pops up that people can scroll through and read or ignore if they want to. Um, I think that all that stuff is is great. I, I don't see any downside to it. And and I like the um, you know, and, and we were talking about it with the client, and I think that you know it's also something. Uh, good tool to use for, you know, a would be employer is, you know, do you understand how to, you know, um, at least design or, you know, pay attention to the 360 degree building and not just 
one facade or another facade, I mean, you know, and have them be able to basically spin it around and, you know, kind of go inside and peek around and just, you know, kind of under, you know, I, I understand that people are graduating and they're not, you know, fully immersed into all the different things that they need to kind of put a building together, but, you know, be able to, um, you know, at least display to somebody that, you know, they've got a, that 3d working knowledge of being able to translate a design from, you know, the, plan paper all the way up to, you know, basically a 3d model and, and kind of understand how to translate all of that stuff. So I think, you know, it, it's a, it's a great tool. Um, you know, I, in fact, I, I know somebody who's going to be going on some interviews soon and, um, she was asking me about, uh, you know, printed, you know, printing stuff out and things like that. And, and, um, we really didn't talk about, um, the digital that much. Um, but I think it might actually be, you know, because again, as I've said, and we've all said, that's where the state of the, uh, um, architectural profession is going. So well, you have to, to know your audience, you know, if you're true, you got to know who you're going to be presenting to. And so if that's something you think that they're going to be interested in, yeah, you want to show it. If not, then you might want to stay away from that. Um, you know, if they're old school, you might want to go in there with an old school portfolio. Well, but what if you've got, what if you're going to uh, an old school firm that needs to, wants to, or maybe, maybe don't they don't. You do that in an interview. <laughs> I was going to say, maybe they don't want to go new school yet, or maybe they don't know how to, and they're hiring somebody that can help, help them. Yeah. I think, I think you can tell that in the, uh, you know, whether it's a, a job uh, app or not a, not an application, but, uh, you know, the posting for the job, I think you're going to get a feel for, you know, what they're looking for and you can kind of make a judgment call. I think the thing to be careful of is, you know, you have one iPad, you're not likely to walk in with three iPads and you may be likely interviewed certainly more than one person. And so I think you, you know, recent grad or soon to be grads, you know, need to be aware of that, that, you know, you, you probably need to have like maybe your best stuff in a small paper portfolio that you can hand out and then yeah. use the digital to kind of oh. show the, uh, the animations supplement. and supplement and maybe start with that. And then you can have the handouts. And those are ones you like your Evan, you just mentioned, those are your leave behinds. So it's not very expensive to do or to print out. And, um, those are your leave behinds. You'd leave them there and you can show off the, the stuff on the iPad and then you, you know, that, that's probably a, a way to do that. Um, you know, for, for me in my practice, um, I started using the iPad actually right after it first came out. So, uh, I remember very clearly actually one of the first, um, uh, client interviews I went to, uh, I took the iPad instead of taking a bunch of drawings or, uh, photographs in a book or something. And I just put, uh, you know, scans of, of drawings and or uh, photographs from projects. And I put them all in the photos app at the time. This was pretty early on and just using the photos app, yeah, just great. walked through some imagery to show them because we spent probably all of 30 seconds looking at it, you yeah. know, but you, you show them two or three photos or a plan or two and and you're kind of done. In this case, we were walking through an existing house that we were going to remodel. And uh, I've you know, done that too. And it's great yeah. to show example imagery in there too of inspirational or or things that you're you could be thinking of to convey a mood. Well, that isn't isn't work that you've done? Right. Even. It could just be stuff that you've lifted. And that 
something, show off. something, uh, we talked about it actually, um, in the interview that, that we did on, uh, Eric Barbaro's site on the best, best practices course, um, is the website house. And I talked a little bit about how I used it, but, um, I also used it or use it in a way that exactly what you just mentioned, Evan, which was, um, I'll, I'll pull up imagery on house that, and I'll create what they call an idea book. Um, and that has imagery that talks of, or that shows the client, um, you know, some of the things that we talked about and, um, you know, shows, shows, um, you know, what they have. So, um, it, it's, you know, it's a really great way to, um, you know, show a client and, and um, you know, to talk about uh, stuff you're 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 trying to show them in a digital fashion. So, you know, it's great. Uh, it's a, it's a great thing to do. And and one of the things um, we wanted to mention here as we start to wrap up here is the um, there's a website called Architosh, and I hope I'm not I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Yeah, that's um, right. And they recently did published a series of articles called the Ultimate iPad Guide. And in that series of articles, and I will have a link in the website to that, uh, that summarizes all the different uh, articles that were published, but it talks about uh, or, or shows examples of different apps and how they're used and, you know, all the way from presentation to, you know, marking up drawings to project management um, and generating, uh, you know, even things like, um, you know, uh, letters and, and things and spreadsheets and stuff like that. So it's a great resource uh, that I found going through all the different articles uh, that can pinpoint to help people find the apps that can do some of this, these things uh, with these more digital tools that we have today. Yeah, cool stuff. I, I one, one other thing I wanted to go back to when, when talking about uh, maybe interviewing at a firm, the most important thing that I think you can do when you're when you're interviewing for firm is showing the firm that you can think spatially. And yeah. if there are ways that you can convey that digitally or analog, bring a model in. If it's analog, bring your drawings in. If they show that you can do that, because that's what people want to know. Yes. It's how do you think spatially? Can you convey through presentation, through explanation, through walking somebody through a space, what you were trying to achieve spatially? That is super important. So figure out how to do that. Do not, or I shouldn't say do not, but try not to let the conversation come down to what software do you know? Because we all know that we can learn any piece of software out there. And the concepts are very similar between all of them. When you're in school, you might have been forced to use a certain piece of software by a certain instructor. And that really shouldn't matter. Um, What's really important is that you can do architecture. And so, you know, it always bugs me when people start talking about software and, you know, Revit and SketchUp and like, who the hell cares? I mean, they're tools, right? You've got to be able to do the job and, and, you know, however you can do that job, do it. And so I, you know, if you, if you think that it's better to show that you can think spatially on an iPad in a presentation, do it. If you think it's better that you can do it with a physical model, bring it. I think that that's uh, something that I would, I would definitely encourage people to do is, is try to figure out what you're passionate about, show how you can convey that in an, in an interview. And, uh, I'm, I'm sure you'll do perfectly fine. 
Well, I think that's a good place to uh, wrap up this episode, guys. So if you have any questions or comments, the best way to reach us is at the website at arcaspeak.com and Arcaspeak Podcast. Arcaspeak Podcast. Oh my gosh. Oh, I wrote that. Don't go to that other Don't site. Don't go to that other See? site. Wow. <laughs> He, he should have wrote it down. Gramps is getting old. Yes, that's right. Yes, another old joke. Thank you very much, Cormac. <laughs> On the ArcaSpeakPodcast.com website, you'll find links to our Twitter accounts where you can reach us individually or our ArcaSpeak uh, Twitter uh, account and and also on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast. And if you enjoy the show, please uh, leave us some reviews on iTunes. Uh, that really helps uh, spread the word for the show. And, uh, and we like positive reviews. That's why I said if you like the show. If you don't like the show, just, just disregard that comment. Right. All right, guys. All right. We'll see you next week. Okay. See you guys. All right. Bye. Bye. Yeah.